0: Welcome, everyone, to the weekly spotlight from Diversity in Apps. My name is Kabir Seth. It's another cloudy Saturday in New York. It always seems to be like this when I record, but at least I'm not missing the sunshine. Um, If this is your first time joining us, Diversity in Apps is a grassroots coalition. We're made up of researchers, producers, and educators. Our mission is to raise awareness and engage in research about the need for inclusive, equitable, and diverse children's media. And this podcast is one of the ways we do that. Every week, we send out a newsletter highlighting articles we found relating to diversity and inclusion. And I pick some of them. This week, I picked one to discuss. And I hope listening to the highlights encourages you to go out and read it and also share it with like-minded folks. This podcast also welcomes folks from all over the the kid tech industry, researchers, producers, CEOs. And this week we have Flora Epaidang, founder and CEO of Courage Dolls. It's a multicultural doll company that is focusing on empowering young girls of color. This was a really great interview, super inspiring. um, So definitely stick around for that. I have two other announcements before we jump to our article for this week. Um, diversity Naps is looking for a summer intern to help refresh our website. If you have website creation experience or you know someone who does, please email diversitynaps at gmail.com with the subject website help. Our second announcement is actually around a conference. Um, every year, Ginny Goodmanson. Who is the creator of the Tech for Kids website? I'm sure you've read some of her stuff in USA Today. Um, she's a huge contributor to the kids tech space. She hosts a conference in San Francisco this year. It's on June 15th, and the conference is solely focused on apps. So people who are in the app space, and it really brings together a lot of industry leaders from um, from all over. Um, Disney's going to be there, um, our friends at Tiny Bop, Toka Boca, and she's planning a, a diversity panel. She had a diversity panel last year. Um, it really sparked a, a conversation around the, um, around this topic, and she's planning it again, and I'm excited to say I'm going to be moderating it. Um, we're finaling our, finalizing our p- panelists right now, um, but we're definitely going to have Raul Gutierrez, who... I'm sure some of you have heard on on this podcast, we like to call him a friend of the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of Tiny Bop and Bjorn Jeffrey, who is the CEO of Tokaboka. We'll both be on it. Um, It's really a a great opportunity, or the panel is really going to be a great opportunity for them to share their best practices from the industry around um, diversity. And we're actually shaping it around the guidelines that diversity in apps is putting together with the help of the Cooney Center. So it's really going to be a, a great unveiling and, and really an opportunity to, to hear from, um, from these two as, as well as um, some other folks on the panel. So I'm excited to be a part of it. All right, let's get to our article for the week. <laughs> Our newsletter touches on a lot of items, but I wanted to highlight an article from the Minnesota Public Radio news site based on an interview with Matt de la Pena and illustrator Christian Robinson. So they work together on um, the book Last Stop on Market Street. It's about a young boy who takes a trip with his grandmother to a soup kitchen where they volunteer. And um, the book actually, you know, it goes through sort of what what the boy sees on his trip, um, who he sees on the bus, you know, the the people that he, he meets on the bus. But really, the the reason I wanted to highlight the article, and really, you should listen to the interview as well. Um, they they talk in a little bit more detail with um, with both the author and the and the illustrator. Is that um, the book? You know, the the it's a picture book. It's in it's the the boy is a boy of color. And but what what the author talks about is really what he is focused on is he he feels like he's known as someone who who writes about race but um, he really thinks of himself as writing about someone or writing about class and obviously sometimes those two things are are um, intertwined and the reason this struck me is as you'll hear when when we spoke to Flora. Is that you know looking at diversity and it's sometimes something we talk about at diversity in apps is you have to look at a lot there are different lenses of, of diversity and flora sort of touches on the fact that um, you know there's been a lot of focus on gender neutrality within toys and um, maybe not as much discussion around. Um, girls of color and you know that's sort of what what she's highlighting but this book also talks about and what Ma- what Matt and Christian both talk about is um, you know diversity also has this class piece and I think sometimes that class uh, gets uh, gets ignored in, in children's literature the stories that we tell um, and that's one of the reasons that this is an interesting story is that these are um, you know a setting of a soup kitchen is not normally what you hear about in a children's picture book. And so it goes through and, and, and talks about, um, you know, what the story that he's trying to tell and obviously brings up many of the um, statistics that we're familiar with. The fact that, you know, children's books don't reflect the society um, that, that we live in. And that is across sort of the, the diversity lens. And it also makes note of sort of how the sales teams look, how the executive team looks in, in publishing. And, um, the really, the, the piece that De La Pena also touches on is talking about why you sort of need diverse teams. And, and we've talked about that so much on, on this podcast. And he really puts it in an interesting way that, you know, everyone has blind spots. And when you have a diverse background, you can cover each other's blind spots, which I thought was really well said. And, and, you know, that applies across the the spectrum of, of private industry. And so, um, I think he kind of ends it with the point that this isn't... The story is sort of telling... um, It's telling a story about a a child who lives on the other side of the tracks, but that doesn't mean a wealthy suburban family shouldn't read it the same way a kid who lives on the other side of a track wouldn't read a story about a wealthy suburban family. So it's equally important, as he says, for kids to be exposed to to a soup kitchen, just as the kids who already understand what a soup kitchen is. All right, we are at my favorite part of the weekly spotlight where I get to talk to people from the children's industry. And today I'm really excited to speak with Flora Epiidang. Yay, got it. (laughs) Yeah, I got it, right? Um, Who is an MBA candidate at Babson College, but more importantly is the founder and CEO of Courage Dolls. And what is Courage Dolls? It is a multicultural doll company that helps to elevate, educate, and encourage girls of color to shatter societal barriers to unlock their full potential and embrace themselves as they should. Beautifully made. Um, I pulled that off the website. I absolutely love that, Flora. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: No, thank you so much, Kavir, for ha- having me. Um, you definitely give a great intro. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that part, but that's perfectly fine. I'm glad that you said that part. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So.
0: So let's talk about Courage Dolls. How how did you come up with with this idea? How long have you had it? What was sort of sort of the process?
1: Okay, so so I guess we're gonna have to go back say ten years. Or so well, when I was actually in high school, I, it was back in two thousand five and I was sitting in my health class and we watched this documentary called A Girl Like Me. And, okay. you know, it was it was just like a seven minute short video mm-hmm. basically talking about race and identity. And um, in the video, a doll test was conducted. Um, in the video, this girl, she did an experiment where she took a group of black children and she had them basically look at a white doll and had them look at a black doll. And she asked them various questions such as, which do you think is prettier, more intelligent, um, all these different attributes and characteristics. And the children overwhelmingly chose the white doll. I see. When it came to positive attributes, and then they chose the, you know, the black doll when it came to negative attributes. And then the question that really you know, spoke out to me and really got my attention was when the girl asked, okay, so what do you consider yourself? And the children said the black doll.
0: Wow. So the the black children said, "I consider myself the black doll." Exactly. So, yeah, and I I think I remember. So the the basically they were she was asking them like which doll. Is smart like which Mm -hmm. doll is not Mm -hmm. nice, right? Uh, Yeah, okay, exactly. I remember that. Yeah,
1: and and the funny thing is is that this, you know,
0: this wasn't the first time that this experiment
1: was conducted. It was originally conducted like in the 1940s um, by these two um, awesome psychologists who were trying to test test the effects of segregation on black children. And so they did the same test um, years ago, and it garnered the same results. And so even during that gap of 60 years and, you know, CNN has done the same test again with Anderson Cooper, Uh ABC News has done the test again, and the same results were popping up. And for me, it was just, you know, this, it just spoke out to me just how much of the Lack of self confidence um, that these children saw themselves because there was such a lack of positive representation that they were seeing in leadership of color as well as um, just positive images of people who look like them. Right. Who respected right. Who they were, and just this dynamic that it had on these children growing up and what the mentality they would have about how they considered themselves. And you know, and for me, you know, I grew up with, you know, two, both my parents are from, you know, from um, another country. Like, my father's from Nigeria, mm-hmm. and my mother's from Grenada in the mm-hmm. Caribbean, and they basically tried to instill, instill in me, um, just having that pride of my culture and my heritage. Sure. And when I was watching this video, you know, I grew up with black dolls and white dolls, but my parents really wanted me as well to really be uplifted. Um, by representation that looked like me. And so it really affected me when I was seeing that these children at such a young age were having already this stigma and this self-doubt in themselves and how they viewed themselves and what, in essence, society, what they felt society viewed of them, whether that be their looks or their intelligence. And so with that said, you know, I realized, even when I watched the documentary, I was like, you know, I wanted to create a positive representation of these communities to, you know, boost self-confidence and build self-esteem. Sure. I I didn't have in that idea yet that it was going to be garage dolls. I knew I wanted to do with dolls, and I knew I wanted to do something that was just more than dolls, but really was uplifting, um, especially for girls of color. Um, And then, you know, when I decided to come to business school, I officially was like, okay, I want to officially start this and have this you know, up and running and doing this. So, basically, within the past nine months, um, officially, I decided Garage Dolls was what it was going to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because throughout my time um, when I went to college and undergrad, I worked. I've interned in the past with a toy with toy companies.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and so, I wanted to get experience in the toy space to see. Okay, you know, if I want to do toys let me get some experience in the toy industry. Right. Uh, And so I was fortunate enough to intern with Jack specific,
0: Uh um, in
1: their electronic marketing department for um, a couple, like I think my senior year of college. And, you know, I then went on to work in advertising. Uh, I worked for one company that, you know, was there for three years and eventually I was like, okay, I know I want to focus on the multicultural audience. Yeah. Yeah. So I eventually uh, went to another agency where I worked in account management, um, working basically with uh, clients on creating campaigns that heavily targeted the Hispanic population, Asian American, and African American communities.
0: I see. So the the video was sort of the seed, and then um, you know you were able to um, you know you have now private sector experience in both the toy industry and sort of mm-hmm. reaching these communities that um, that you're that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of your work was done on the, the marketing sort or the packaging side, how these products would work. Did you have some understanding of sort of manufacturing of how these toys are made, where they're made, etc.?
1: So, when at that time, I didn't actually really know the manufacturing as much side. I just, you know, was being exposed to, okay, the marketing aspect of it all, how to effectively, you know, when I was, working with Jack specific my time there was kind of focused on uh, they were potentially looking at a new product Uh uh, they were developing so my time there was consisted of research analyzing you know competitors and kind of coming up helping you know them come up with a presentation proposal for how they could potentially segment themselves into this new market that they're going after so I didn't necessarily get my hands on the manufacturing side Mm -hmm. uh, so I Literally, when there I was like, okay, I'm just going to learn as much about sure. what I can about toys because I knew, you know, like, even though I wasn't necessarily working on the business at that time, I knew that I wanted to take some steps and whatever avenues I could reach at that moment to kind of somewhat get me prepared right, uh, right. for what I would eventually want to be doing now.
0: And uh, so over the past nine months, like, sort of that, that's when, um, you know, uh, Courage Dolls has sort of come to, to fruition what um what have you sort of been focused on like building out the hmm. you know did you did you sit down and write a business plan or sort of yeah, was it yeah. part of a class how how did you approach it
1: yeah so what's so interesting about the college that i go to is that you know Babson college is like they're very focused on
0: entrepreneurship right, which
1: is great. right. Like they're like number one in it. So that was definitely an avenue for me to have access to courses because I was like, okay, I don't know yet what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I know my marketing side, everything. Now I want to be able to like, you know, start building my, you know, minimum viable product, um, starting to get consumer, potential customer feedback and all those other elements. So um, I actually took a very interesting course called um, Entrepreneurship and Opportunity. It's called E&O basically, but um, it's a course that we take when you're a first year MBA student in your first semester where you Actually, get to um, whether it be your own business idea or another of your peers' business idea, but basically, you're developing um, your pitch around it. I uh, see. You're starting to understand what is there a market for this? Um, is it viable? Is it feasible? And so, kind of the moment that I realized that okay, garage dolls could really be a thing is even though it may seem kind of lame, but um, we have this competition in our school called the Rocket Pitch.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And basically, um, the entire class, you have to pitch, you have to re- record a video of your pitch in three minutes. You have three slides, three minutes to do your pitch. And that includes your target market, that includes the market potential, all these different avenues. And so I pitched it, and then your class has to vote on the top eight people to pitch okay. in front of the entire class. So I ended up finding out that I was one of the people selected. Oh. And um, so I was like, oh wow, and you know, and, and for me, I don't even know, you know, for me, I didn't even truly, honestly think that people would pick my idea because I was like, okay, this is an audience that I'm focusing on—that's children, especially on the diversity um, yeah. aspect—and I was like, okay, these MBA students are not going to get this. He's like, these MBA right. students—they're looking at you know biotech and you know sure and stuff, which sure. you know, but they, I think, what really resonated with people when they spoke with me was a story and kind of you know the aspect of when I was telling people about this stigma and its effect that many children, especially children of color, when they're not seeing themselves reflected and how that stigma kind of carries with them. Um, and it's the whole point of just diversity. We live in a country where right. it's becoming right. so much more of a melting pot, but yet we're not seeing as much rep- positive, not just not representation, because representation is what positive representation at that. And I think that just resonated a lot with my class and made people come to realization, like, okay, we've made some strides, you know, we have this president now, we have all these things, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think you touched on on two key things there, the idea that, um, you know, more than 50% of kids in elementary school are, um, are not white. And mm-hmm. you know, the, there's um, a much more diverse um, world out there and then the second piece is that uh, while that is true and then there's also sort of the the positive you know both the 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 positive representation is is something that you're uh, definitely focus on i think you, mm-hmm. you you know you sort of say it right there on the on the website that you're you're changing the perception and sort of transforming how how girls of color see themselves so Mm -hmm. so you were selected this was you know as as part of the class your your project Mm -hmm. was sort of selected as part of the class and then where where did you go from from there how what were sort of the next steps
1: yeah so after I pitched it and got some great feedback from my peers um, so that basically one of my peers, this is kind of where we were like, kind of transitioned into the next phase. One of my peers told me, he said, Flora, you should enter into this Harvard pitch competition. And I was like, Harvard, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? And they have like their, and your business school has their annual entrepreneurship conference, and they have a pitch competition they do, they've been doing for the past couple of years, and it's a one minute pitch competition. And if you, you know, the top three people, like they get, you know, like $1,000, I think it's $1,500, $1,000, and I think uh, $500. Mm-hmm. And you only get one minute to pitch, basically taking my three-minute pitch that I mentioned earlier, and basically shrinking that down into one minute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then you say, you know, you always hear about the 30-second elevator pitch. Yeah, but the you,
0: elevator pitch, right you, just, right. you only get
1: a chance to just put your idea out there. You don't talk about the market size. Sure, you don't talk about, sure. Um... I was scared. I was yeah. like, okay, I, I'm really unsure about you know. I've done it at Babson, but I don't know you know at doing it against Harvard because it's Harvard, right? Um, so I actually entered into the competition, and I actually made it in. And um, on the day, I remember the day of the actual event. It was the first event they did for their conference that day, and so it was a lot of people. We we're in this run one room that I kid you not had like me nearly 250 people and it was still overflowing because sure. everyone in that room wanted to see the pitch and wanted to see what was going on
0: so, so where where are we like in the calendar like what where what day was this
1: so i did my rocket pitch initially in october and then i did the harvard pitch in november like maybe the second week or so of november okay so uh,
0: november 2015 okay so yeah,
1: just a yeah, few months ago yeah so yeah, so yeah okay. that was just yeah exactly um and Uh, I was one of 19 companies to pitch, and we had to pitch in front of a room of uh, uh, venture capitalists, just to get. Th- basically, you get one minute to pitch, and they get
0: thirty seconds of questions.
1: Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> right. This is this is like a speed lightning. Yeah, round. and
0: I can't. It's like faster than speed than. You, just than imagine lightning. people
1: like pitching really quick and then running off stage, and then pitching really quick and then running off. Um, yeah. That's really what it was. And so when it was my turn, and this is when it was still basically an idea. I didn't. Some people had metrics and stuff like that. I didn't mm-hmm. have that. Yet. Um, so, you know, I pitched um, that I remembered everything I said. Majority of the students actually didn't finish in one minute. I right. um, was one of the only few people who did. Um, and then I got some great questions from the VCs, and then at the end of the day, I ended up finding out that I got second place. Wow. So I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, I think, in that moment that really was like, okay, there is validity in what I'm saying. There is. This is not just something that I feel like is an issue yeah. that is resonating with me or a couple of like, okay, I'm at Harvard with students from all over, um, from different schools and meeting with VCs and talking to people who are like, I, I love what you're doing and I appreciate what you're doing and um, I support you in that. And that was kind of that first kind of moment truly for me that sure, I was like, okay, sure. garage dolls can truly become truly, you know, like, the yeah. you know, and so, you know, from there, um, basically it's been kind of a whirlwind of events, like, I've been able to, you know, I, I, I've been able basically from that month to basically network with a lot of people. Um, on basically getting feedback, meeting with people who would become my advisors eventually, meeting people who either had experience in the manufacturing space or had experience maybe with toys or something um, in that realm. Um, some people I got some feedback from those, like well, one guy I remember, he was actually trying to get me to like manufacture with his company, I think it was based on India, but it was like uh-huh. nothing to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> Like really, really, really pushing it, and I was right. like, "Oh, going to weigh things out." Because I didn't mention this earlier, but like an a a big attribute of my uh, the Karajas that I'm developing is that the dolls will be 3D printed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I uh, definitely do. I want to dig into that a little bit more. So, yeah. um, yeah. so yeah, I, I definitely want to hear about that. Yeah. So, it, so you're networking, you're meeting people, you're sort of understanding um a little bit more about the manufacturing side. You're sort of also understanding. How you know just generally the industry works? You're you're finding mentors and mm-hmm. and advisors. So at this point, you know I, I got a chance to sort of look at at your video. Um, it it seemed very similar to uh, sort of a, a pitch video. mean, um, it mm-hmm. wasn't one minute long; it's a little bit longer. Yeah, and yeah. you you talked about sort of you know how we've touched on sort of the authentic, on th- authenticity on
1: authenticity
0: and yeah. Um, I know it's a, a tongue twister. <laughs> and reaching out to. <laughs> Um, you know this uh, the the community that you're that you're focused on, and then the idea of sort of community, etc. Um, but the the three D printed piece. So your plan, you know, one of your big tenants is is customization. So mm-hmm. what's um, at least right now, and I know business plans change, ideas change, but right now, as as things stand, how how what is your approach with the with the three D printing?
1: Yeah. So kind of the idea for the three D printing aspect came with me, like. During the course of basically within the past year, you know, I've learned more about 3D printing and kind of uh, mass customization. And I wanted to look further into that avenue because I really wanted to give this uniqueness for girls and boys or and adults who are not just getting the dolls for me, but also having a hand and um, how it's being created. So combining like that technology aspect with a sure. physical kind of play aspect and You know, I had a great friend in my program who, you know, has has had his own. He taught people like CAD design um, and kind of did that as an engineer. So he was he literally I would I would spend hours, literally hours a day sitting with this guy, having him explain to me um, 3D printing the different Mm -hmm. materials, the machinery. um, And I was really fascinated with it because just how technology has really transformed. Sure. And I really was like, you know, I want to be able, I told myself, I said, I want to be able to develop a platform where you can literally go in and customize how the dolls look.
2: Right, um, right. And,
1: you know, from the eye, from the skin tone to the eye color to the, the lips, the nose, and the initial phase in the hair. Yeah. Um, of course, over time, I expanded from there. And it was something that, when I, you know, started with my MBA program and met that person, I was like, okay, you know, now I, you know, I, I've gone to so many events where, I, where, like, I went to the New York Toy Fair um, uh-huh. a couple months ago. Was that, I believe that was in February? That was in February, yeah. Yes, yes. And you know, just talking to there was so there were so many new companies there that were doing three D printing, mm-hmm. um, and just basically talking with them, like, you know, the fact that you could three D print metals and three D print plastic and all these different things, and sure. I was just like, okay. You know, I was like, "This is possible. This is capable." And um, so, from that moment, basically, from those two kind of elements, um, I so far from there, I've actually got like my three D printed model. Um, so I've I've actually nice. done so far a prototype that was three D printed.
0: I see. Uh, and do you sort of see this as? Um, do you see, like obviously three D? The cost of three D printing continues to to fall. I would say right mm-hmm. now it's still sort of. Um, it, it sort of sits in a school space. Yeah. it's not really it hasn't reached the home. Do you sort of see garage dolls as, as a school um, as sort of a school product or do you, do you see it mm-hmm. event I think is it really focused on on the home the, um, the home use?
1: Yeah, I my goal is for it to be the home use, like in the initial phase, because 3D printing, like there's a lot of patents that have now have slowly expired, mm-hmm. uh, but the, there's still heavy costs associated with that. So kind of with me is what I'm looking at doing is, um, you know, having, there's four dolls that are kind of going to serve as the initial phase of the brand. Okay. Um, I'm called, they're part of the Garage Crew. As called <laughs> <them>. <laughs> That's and awesome. I, um, and they're, you know, different ethnicities, uh, different storylines. Like one's an entrepreneur, one okay. wants to be um, in STEM and focus on coding, one wants to focus on being an artist, and another one's focused on uh, social justice.
0: I see. And one, awesome.
1: Yeah. So one is African, one is African American,
0: uh-huh.
1: one is Afro Latina, and okay. one is biracial. Ah. So um, those two. So,
0: Sorry. so yeah. so to talk through how this um how this works so i'm i sit down am i am i going to your website and i yes. know you're sort of building this out so i'm going to your website and i am i am selecting what like i'm selecting the the stem stem doll do i get to customize it or is it a case where like we're we're one of those you know i'm purchasing one of one of those um initial mm-hmm. part of the the crew
1: yeah, so the initial crew, the four, um, those would be like my goal is to um, launch those four dolls first. Those would be the okay. pre-made, I guess, dolls first because um, I do realize in this process awesome. that develop the a platform right. for the pretty print is going to take me a little bit longer. So I was like, okay, I want to get more validity um, with the market of having the pre-made dolls first to kind of help of develop the brand from there with their stories and characters. Um, so you'll be able to go in online through the econ, you know, through this through the website and. Purchase one of those. and of course you can add any accessories from there. I'm hope I'm you know been talking with a uh, a peer of mine about you know children's books and about kind of developing the characters sure. um, to kind of really give that representation there. And then my goal is within you know within another year is to have um, the end beta stage the 3D printing platform. So now that you've been addressed and you're you're aware of those four dolls with Garage Crew, it's like okay now it's you're the ability to make your own. Garage right Memphis. right awesome uh-huh. so that's and a so, that's yeah. an,
0: a really interesting phased approach so um so what in in terms of the plan for the for the pre-made dolls what's um what's sort of the timeline for that when do you expect to to have them ready to to either pre-order or ready to, mm-hmm. to purchase
1: yeah so i'm actually looking at doing a kickstarter awesome um, campaign i'm hoping to do it by the end of august if not early september like my goal is like do it, get it by August done so I can eventually get it out um, in time for Christmas and the holidays. Um, So basically, kind of reversing back from that, I've, um, you know, been meeting with my advisors and starting to just um, start initial conversations with manufacturers um, who do with 3D printing and um, I'm just making a lot of great connections there um, because I'm hoping, because this summer is a little bit interesting for me because I'm actually... um, Interning um, with a toy company <laughs> this oh, nice. summer. So I'm actually interning with one this summer. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that things weren't kind of overlapping and <laughs> sure, sure. getting that. So um, this summer is kind of heavily the research phase. And I've already met someone who's done Kickstarter campaigns in the past who said he would love to kind of help me um, with the video and everything. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I also um, have a toy designer that I'm working with um, who's actually developing, um, who's helping me develop the biracial uh, design, the 3D design of the biracial doll. Nice. So, but my goal is to, by doing the Kickstarter, officially launch with the doll I've already created, Aaliyah, which is, yeah.
0: Um, African- I love that name.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, How do you yeah,
0: spell
1: A- it? <laughs> Aaliyah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, the names, yeah, I haven't figured out all their names. I know the biracial, okay. the biracial um, girl, her name is going to be uh, Zola, Okay. Um, and then the Leah one is the, the African American one, who's the entrepreneur, who's the first one that I plan to release um, through the Kickstarter campaign. And if that goes really well, then hopefully the biracial would be the next one. And then the uh, African, then the Afro-Latina doll. Um so kind of basically this summer is going to be basically crazy and just uh, <laughs> really, you know, because I'm really excited for my internship to really learn more, but also, sure. you know, on um, the vaccine now, just basically in a matter of nine months is that I know that I still have a long, you know, have a long way to go, but in terms of you know, developing a board of advisors, getting a toy designer, um, you know, getting just so much support from my peers and Mm -hmm. other mentors who really, you know, who see, you know, I think it's, I think it's been a process of like either talking to people who are just like, oh, is diversity really an issue? And
0: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I actually, I I do want to sort of talk to you about that when you're, um, you know, I think we we've talked about this on diversity and apps more than once. Sort of this idea of we're product creators, we care a lot about this, and we find ourselves at times when we're going to even talk to someone at the about our product, we don't necessarily lead with you know our focus on diversity or diversity matters a lot mm-hmm. to us. We sort mm-hmm. of talk. We feel like um, you know we want to talk about the product, um, and so. D- you know, in, in your case that, you know, the, the video that you saw when you were in high school and then, you know, mm-hmm. everything that you've worked on since then has sort of been with with that in mind and, the, and diversity is a focus of the product. I mean, you could almost argue that it is the product. That is yeah. what is the most important part about the product. So my question, which I know I'm taking a long time to get to, is when, when you're talking to someone about it and sort of talking about your idea... Is that sort of how you, is that the lens you approach it from, from talking specifically about the the diversity piece?
1: Yeah. When I, when I do my pitches, like one of the first mm-hmm. lines that I say is like, hello, my name is so-and-so and I believe that representation matters. Okay. And that's kind of my opening line. Um, sure. You know, my whole slogan is because representation matters. It's very simple, but... Yeah. For me, I think you hit the nail on the head about you know. For me, diversity is a very big passion of mine, and and not even but inclusion, and because um, I think sometimes people get the diversity. They're like, okay, well, I just have diversity, but it's like no, being included and feeling included um, in our products, in our shows, in our apps, and everything, and sure. really and doing it well, because um, sometimes. Yeah that unfortunately doesn't happen. But yeah, there's moments where there's been times, there's been funny stories. I'm trying to think. There, one of my first times I was telling a potential advisor of mine, I was telling her about, um, you know, garage dolls and, you know, having starting off with a doll line that was girls of color. And mm-hmm. then one of the first questions I got was, so are you going to create a white doll? And <laughs> huh. and I I just kind of you know and that wasn't the, that wasn't the last time I got that question right. But, um, you were like, it was... seems
0: like a pretty saturated market. So.
1: <laughs> exactly. I was like, so my whole story is that uh, there are barely any dolls of toys of color in general on our shelves. You know, there's children's books that are not even. You know, 38 percent of this country is of people of different multicultural backgrounds, but our toy shells are carrying what, less than 30% or 20%. Even right. toy dolls that look of color. And, you know, I was like, we, the thing is, is that we have a lot of these avenues for the quote unquote white dolls or the white, you know, the mass, if you want to call it. Mark, that's another element, is when I've been talking to some VCs, just mm-hmm. to get initial kind of feedback, they were of like, course. oh so it looks like you know you're looking at like a niche market but like have you thought about looking at the mass market and um i was just like when you say mass market (laughs) are you are you you like because my you know i want these dolls i i want i want white children to have these dolls the same way that me growing up as a black kid had a white doll right right so i i think sometimes that stigma is like, oh, well, it's just, no. I, I think by teaching kids at a very young age of how to be, you know, culturally competent and being able to embrace that diversity from young and, and having parents who want their kids to be exposed sure. to that of all different backgrounds, the same way if I'm a person of color, if I'm being exposed of that, of a uh, quote-unquote mass market back, I feel that we're living in a time where we, you know, everyone should be taking the time and the energy to really inspire their kids to really, because when they go into a school, they're going to be interacting with kids who are different from them, mm-hmm, who have mm-hmm. backgrounds. Absolutely, like, that's oh. um,
0: that's really beautifully said. I, I think that's exactly right. I think um, the idea that sort of uh, mainstream or default of how a, a doll should look needs mm-hmm. to, you know, that idea needs to change. And um, a a child that um, that isn't black playing with a black doll is not, mm-hmm you know it's not it shouldn't be thought of something that's not mainstream so exactly um, exactly yeah.
1: and kind of, and kind of to continue off of that it's like when i'm pitching i i don't even say that it's a niche market i say this is becoming the the new mass market the new mainstream mm-hmm. market because you know as we we're you know kind of highlighting earlier like you know the u.s census said like in 2014 that kids under the age of five now make up you know, minority, majority are minority right. um, children. And this is where, you know, the multicultural audiences It's growing by 2.3 million a year. Right. And right. who are the people consuming our products and online and our apps and everything are people of different backgrounds. And but who do we see creating majority? People, sure. who, you know, who are not looking like that. And it's making sure that, you know, that inclusion is there and that that's being thoughtful in that approach and mm-hmm. you know when kids they just have so much access now to so many things online and through apps and you know with garage dolls as well it's like not just having a doll my focus like i you know i have no intentions of like creating a fashion doll line you know right. the dolls that you know kind of my vision that i kind of say even on my website is like the vision of garage dolls is to you know provide every girl you know with the courage to be unstoppable it's yeah. like I don't want to like kind of curse but like I want girls to be badass I want guys to be <laughs> badass. you know it's like that's kind of you know like you know I, I I'm i not like anti-pink I know you know pink but like you know I think giving girls the inspiration to be that coder that you know you know flight you know pilot that that sure. construction worker that police officer and you know making especially girls of color because I think the conversation is now being brought up about you know gender neutrality and having the conversation mm-hmm. about girls being able to be exposed and getting encouragement to do things that historically have been, um, shifted more to boys. But I think sure. of color are still ignored from that conversation. They're, they're, they're finding their way in, but I think the media is still heavily looking at it from a one angle. And Absolutely. I especially yeah. of color. We still, there's, there's more barriers that we have. To right.
0: No, we, we talk about that all the time. Um, when we were putting together a set of guidelines um, as part of diversity in apps and um, you know when we were talking specifically about character design um, you know this conversation came up about how um, there are different types of diversity and sort of like you're saying there's this lens of sort of looking at it from a gender neutral perspective of you know what are girls encouraged to do and then there's also sort of the racial component Mm -hmm. to it and, and girls of color like you're saying that is who you're focused on and that's who you're um that's who you're attempting to reach first and i think that um that makes a lot of sense and i think that always has to sort of be taken into account the people who are behind building building the dolls i I think you touched on a a lot of things that we've talked about um and this conversation continues not just like you're saying in the toy aisle it continues in the Mm -hmm. app aisle it continues Mm in 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 the book aisle so um I'm I'm excited for uh for your upcoming summer. I know you have um certain challenges. You have <laughs> quite a few challenges in front of yeah. you. What would you say is sort of your biggest challenge and you know what um if if you could get advice on that or what do you ask for advice for the most about in terms of the challenges that you face? Um I
1: thought like there's so many challenges in life, but um To kind of think about it, I think some of the challenges that I definitely think about regularly is, you know, I've been looking for kind of a co-founder in that space. I haven't secured one yet, but there's elements that I'm working on there with that because I realize being, you know, when you're looking at the lens of becoming an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. if you're, when you're somebody, I I never realized that like, okay, you realize there are difficulties that you have to go through where you're at times alone and you're up late at night and you're crying and you're like, (laughs) oh my goodness, like there's, you know. Me, me, trying to balance school and trying to figure it all out, and then trying to start a business during this time
2: mm-hmm. as
1: a sole entrepreneur, but who's been able to get a lot of great support from awesome people. There are moments where I'm just like, how do I even function? Like, there's t- my moments where I'm like, I don't have no idea, like right. what. Where, what, okay, is there a certain manufacturer that I should be looking at? Um, you know, one of my peers told me, Oh, when you're asking for quotes, like, ask for like this amount, that amount, that I'm like, Oh, okay, I, I thought I just asked for one amount, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think for me, I think one of the biggest challenges as well that I've is a hurdle that. I know I will continue to face is being not just a woman entrepreneur, but a, a woman of color as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Um, I think there are, you're not just facing the sexism kind of barrier with that, but also the racial barrier with that.
2: Sure. In sure. terms
1: of when I'm trying to meet with potential VCs. Like right now, like I'm, I, you know, I want to do a Kickstarter, so I'm not looking at this moment of doing VC funding in that aspect, but just the initial conversations that I've had with some people, and kind of the stigma of like, okay, well, we're familiar with this type of industry, we're going to, you know, I find myself a lot of times educating, uh, yeah. kind of more so on the aspect of the diversity and right. the impact. Um, and then a lot of time people are like, oh, well, I never knew this was an issue. Or, oh, wait, oh, is this like, you'd be surprised how many times I've gotten that question. Yeah. <laughs> And um, it's, I think that, and I've seen that even with my peers, even being as a female of color entrepreneur, that there's less, unfortunately, less funding that you get in those type of historical kind of big VC spaces. That's why I've been mainly looking at places that focus on women and minority entrepreneurs, and I think having that support system. Because when you're not seeing many people who look like you already in that industry, like, I'm the only... In my MBA program, I'm the only black female in my class out of like 150 students. Wow. So <laughs> it's definitely been up and down this past year being like the only one. Um, but at that same time, having a great group of support from just mentors and peers who sure. uh, I've just been so thankful for the amount of support I've gotten. Like, But at the same time, uh, there's still those barriers of just like, okay, yeah. I yeah. feel. Could I have potentially been a little bit gotten access to this a little quicker if maybe potentially I was a white male? Right, um,
0: right. But no, that that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I that could be a whole podcast in and of itself yeah. for sure. <laughs> So, but before, um, obviously, you're getting your Kickstarter ready. What should folks do in the meantime? It sounds like there, there looks like there's a place on your website to to join your mailing list, correct? Yes,
1: exactly. So, basically, I have a um, a newsletter that I'm working on creating. So, on my on my website, mm-hmm. Um you can definitely sign up for the e newsletter for information that's popping up as I'm preparing to get the Kickstarter off the ground. Um, I'll be sharing information. About how that pathway is going, and getting feedback from people because I'm still, uh, you know, testing my prototype and meeting sure. with children and parents. Um, so I would love because you know the product I'm creating is for the audience I'm creating it for, and I really, really want right. feedback and put them along in this process. And then I also have my Facebook page, my Twitter page, Carriage Dolls, where I. You've you know, been using it heavily to post a lot of great, interesting articles and media outlets for, especially girls of color. Girls of color mm-hmm. doing phenomenal, phenomenal things yeah. that doesn't necessarily always get portrayed heavily in the mainstream media. Awesome. So I awesome! Awesome. Yeah. We
0: we will make sure we post. I, I'll definitely post the link to um to your website on there as well as um as well as your Twitter and Facebook um and encourage people to to sign up. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. I hope we can uh, we can touch base right before your your Kickstarter gets going.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Like any anybody out there who wants to kind of help, give support, and just um, kind of you know continue to join the same way that you know Kabir, you and your team are giving a platform for people to talk about diversity in apps and just kind of
0: you know including diversity more further technology and doing it powerfully well um, is. Thank you, Flora. Um, we really enjoy having people like you on uh, to serve as a platform for your story.
1: Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much, Gavan. Thank you.